Hi folks, I am Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on February 1st, 2013. I always suggest newcomers look into web cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the beginning of every broadcast rather than pester you like a salesman all the way through it. But uh, on that site you'll find you can get lots of audios for download for free going back many years. And you can also get transcripts uh, for print up of all the sites listed there. And if you go into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, you can get transcripts in other languages for print up. But remember too, you are the audience that bring me to you and I need you, your support, because this isn't a business. Uh, I came out at the right time to change the whole direction everything was going, even the patriot community, to tell them that eugenics and a whole bunch of things was behind what was happening in the world across, across the whole, the whole planet, really changing the whole planet to, into scientifically run society, really, on behalf of certain groups that were at the top and had been at the top and actually taken over as dominant minorities from just a long, long time ago, in fact. So it's been followed by many others, and thank goodness it's taken off because it's time people knew what had happened in the past to the present and where we're going, who's behind it all, why it's all happening this way, and uh, the massive changes that were planned long before you were even born by these world institutions. So help yourself to the, the website, as I say. Remember, but uh, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughmates.com and find out how to do it. And from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders to order. You can send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, uh, you can get uh, Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal. Remember, straight donations are really, really seriously welcome in these days of uh, inflation, quantitative easing, and austerity, as I like to call it after we've been bankrupted by robbers, robber barons, once again. They do at least twice a century. So, as I say, you learn how history was made, how it is being made, the forces behind it, and the cultural changes that had to go along with it to destroy all existing cultures in the process, because they were an enemy of another culture, in actual fact. And I go through a lot of the history of this and the big organizations that were very public, in fact, in fact, right up into World War II and afterwards as well, and how they even got presidential admission uh, to, to run their, their organizations inside America, uh, Britain and elsewhere, to drastically alter and completely redirect the whole culture of those countries. It's all happened, and you see the effects of it today. But uh, most folk don't know the histories behind it. They think we're just going along day by day. And sure enough, you can go and get a lot of news every day. It's just data, remember. And all you're seeing are the side effects of this ongoing big, big plan to remake the whole world, to remake humanity itself in order that it can be easily controlled by a, a dominant minority at the top using science and psychology and neuroscience and so on, and also big pharma eventually, and, and bring in even down the road, they hope, new kinds of slaves once we've all died off 
And most of us will die off with cancers and various things, and most won't have any children. We've been taught not to have children. So this plan has, has worked out very, very well, but it's never fast enough for those at the top. They want to speed it up. Uh, they've done that too by literally altering something called food. Food used to be quite normal. Now it's all uh, re-engineered for you. Uh, the massive inoculation programs that all babies get, and there's so much data coming out all the time, and always ignored. The facts are ignored by the propaganda experts at the top as they keep pushing for more and more of them. We see the effects of them everywhere, but it doesn't matter. Because truth doesn't matter when it comes to massive propaganda, uh, uh, publicity, um, uh, barrages that are well-timed, well-financed to overcome any sense of factual uh, uh, identities of, of what's happening. Back with more after this break. We're back, cutting through the matrix and talking about this big world and the big system and all the fallout. Charles, I love to talk about the fallout. Is it looking at the signs and symptoms uh, all around a patient's body, but you're not allowed to look at the primary cause of the tumor? And here's an article here. It's one of the parts of the fallout. And it talks about the Independent Payment Advisory Board. It's called IPAB for Obamacare. It's a 15-member panel who controls the dissemination of care patients can receive. A 15-member panel for the whole for the whole country, right? And they've got authority over reimbursements that doctors receive for administering care to patients and advising the type of care patients can receive. Jonathan Gruber was the economist and advisor to Obama that inspired the Affordable Care Act, obviously on behalf of the insurance companies. Just before I continue with this, it's interesting the article I read the other day. Uh, on on uh, the, the French Rothschilds, who, who was t- saying that the next big crash will come with insurance companies. So this may be one of their ways to of try and avoid debt, is getting you all pay this massive insurance. Never mind the massive money they're going to get out of it too. Because uh, you, you, most building uh, that goes on across, in most countries today is not from bank loans, it's from insurance company loans. They're, they're huge, huge, absolutely huge. Anyway, it says... Uh, this is the guy who started it up has refused to be part of the IPAB. In other words, he just doesn't want to be on this commission that's going to get blamed for killing people. They call it the death panel. It says, well, this group is supposed to be comprised of economists, academia, exactly what Russell said would, would run us all in this scientific uh, tyranny, you know. And he's all for it, of course. Uh, members of the pharmaceutical industry, that's wonderful, isn't it? They're not going to run it too. The insurance industry reps for profit. Hospital executives the ones who run the hospitals and uh, and then have a few medical practitioners thrown at the bottom. It says the IPAB is having a hard time filling spots for the obvious death panel. It says it's given authority over keeping the costs of health care low by controlling the amount of, and type of care patients will receive. Although Congress is empowered to oversee how doctors will be paid for services rendered, those financial recommendations afforded by the IPAB are automatically adhered to. This roundtable of unelected bureaucrats will make decisions, deem Americans worthy of health claims, and approve or deny care to seniors. And we know where it's going to go, because Obama's made quite clear on there's no point in keeping seniors going. He even mentioned about his grandmother and the cost it took at the time, and was it really worth it? Getting you all ready for this, because everything that happens today was planned years and years ago. 
folks, everything is. Mainstream media claims that the death panels are expected to find savings by eliminating fraud and reducing payments to private insurance companies that work with Medicare and prescription drug providers. Since Congress must approve the members of the death panel, those considered for the position must be able to show their expertise in health finance, economics and medical science. In other words, this is the experts from death, you see. A six-month term on a death panel was reserved those who serve from any other business, vocation or employment. In reality, the IPAB, in conjunction with the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, will implement laws without congressional approval, denying the law's execution would necessitate the House, Senate and President uh, agree on an alternative plan. So according to the study, and the studies here, the link for it, the Independent Payment Advisory Panel, PBACA's Anti-Constitutional Authoritarian Super Legislator, the IPAB's plan would become law without congressional approval, oversight, or even be subject to a presidential veto. Once this proposal is submitted, it is law. And I'll be able to declare policies regarding health care to Congress, recommendations on costs, mitigating waste, prioritizing disbursement of care, impose taxes where the U.S. government pays the medical bills or not, ration medical care to Americans as they see fit. So uh, this goes on and on. And it says the IPAB and independent panels likening to those in the United Nations where organizations have oversight panels that decide the direction of the organization and empower it. The only governing body the IPAB will have to answer to is itself. Not bad for the big pharma and, and, and the hospital industries and, and insurance companies. Eh? So I'll put this up too tonight for those who care, you know, because yeah, you're all going to pay for it really down the road. In article 2 is interesting. It says, uh, our Zionists now calling the shots in the Anglican Church. And it says, um, Rowan Williams, who was the 104th Archbishop of Canterbury, that's English Church, Anglican Church, has stepped down from his post. And it says, Williams rules a figure of unity in the worldwide Anglican Communion, which is represented in over 130 countries, meant he was in a position to bring the needs and voices of those fighting poverty, disease, and the effects of conflict to the tension of national and international policymakers and donor agencies, or so we're told. It says, in 2010, when the Archbishop announced he was planning to visit to Gaza, just a year after the slaughter and devastation of Operation Cast Lead, I asked his Lambeth Palace office for more information. And whom would he meet? Would he see the health minister? Would he sit down and talk with elected prime minister Ismail Haniyeh, man of God to man of God, for Mr. Haniyeh as an imam? Would he do Gaza? And all of us proud by spending a generous amount of time with senior uh, members of the Islamic faith. His office didn't reply. According to the Archbishop's website, he did none of those things. At least he didn't mention them if he did. Unless I'm mistaken, he said nothing about Gaza and the House of Lords. We had the ear of Parliament and the support of 25 other Church of England bishops. And he began his ecumenical letter that Easter by declaring that Christians need to witness boldly and clearly. A lady wrote to me saying she had emailed Lambeth Palace 18 times asking if the Archbishop's party could please bring some back some deaf children's art, which should have been picked up by members of a recent Gaza blockade-busting convoy. The palace eventually declined, saying the Israelis wouldn't allow it. If he'd been witnessing boldly, as he exhorted other Christians to do, the Archbishop would surely have instructed his staff to pick up the children's art and dare the Israelis to confiscate it. 
She complained that by not using his position in the House of Lords and elsewhere, the Archbishop was failing to improve the situation for Palestinians, quoting the words of Desmond Tutu, who said, where there's oppression, those who do not side uh, do nothing. Those who do nothing side with the oppressor. It was later revealed that Israelis severely restricted the Archbishop's time in Gaza. I asked why such interference with the church's pastoral business in the Holy Land of all places wasn't broadcast on the website and mainstream media and in Parliament. His office confirmed the Archbishop had initially been refused access to Gaza, but was eventually permitted one and a half hours, just enough for a hurried visit to the Ali Hospital and no more. When my questions were forwarded to the Archbishop of Public Affairs spokesman, the reply was headed not for publication. Suffice to say, the Israelis from the start blocked the Archbishop's visit to Gaza and only at last minute had granted him a piddling 90 minutes. As his Archbishop's website joyfully reported how he hobnobbed with the chief rabbinate, paid his respects to Yad Vashem and the Holocaust, and talked with the President of Israel, the latter no doubt sniggering up his sleeve, and his guest's frustration at being prevented by Israel's thugs, it says here, from seeing what horrors they inflicted on the Gazans, and so on and so on. Now, it's well known that this Archbishop caved in on a lot of things, an awful lot of things, and uh, and because of it, there's, there's been repercussions Here's one here, and it says, divorce cases in Britain now, right? He, listen to the spin on the headline here. It's quite interesting because it's trying to waylay something off from who started this to who's going to take, who's really behind it, but they're not at all. Divorce cases could be settled by Sharia and religious courts, right? After landmark high court ruling over a Jewish couple's dispute. You understand where it's going with it? And it says, uh, settlement of a Jewish couple approved under rabbinical law of Beth Din. That's her private courts that they have in every country for, for Jewish think, cases. For all kinds of cases, actually. Divorce cases could be settled by Sharia and religious courts after landmark high court ruling. That's a precedent. The settlement of a young Jewish couple was approved under the rabbinical court of Beth Din, which is said to be the first time that an English family judge has sent a divorce dispute to a religious court. Mr. Justice Baker quoted the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr. Rowan Williams, that's the article I just read, who said in 2008 that citizenship in a secular society should not necessitate the abandoning of religious discipline. The Muslim Council of Britain praised the judgment. They they didn't go for it, right? They didn't do it. With a spokesman telling the Times, if it leads to the eventual acceptance of Sharia, court divorces in Muslims will be very encouraged. So it's a relevant case involved an unorthodox Jewish couple in their 20s who had a religious wedding in 2006 and first lived in Israel before returning to London for their first child to be born. The couple were hoping to move to Toronto, Canada, but they broke up in 2009 after the birth of their second child. Disputes over access to the children led the father to begin court proceedings. He brought these under the Hague Convention or Child Abduction but before it arrived in London, they referred a dispute to a senior rabbi at the Beth Din of America in Manhattan, New York. International indeed. The judge was asked to allow this and decided it would be better for the dispute to be heard in a Beth Din because it would be in line with their beliefs and with the laws in England and Wales. Now, the whole thing is, this is now superseding the laws of England and Wales. And for long, you understand that England was still supposedly be Supposedly, unless they hand the towel in there too, but supposedly the whole culture and history of England was under Christian law. Don't forget that. 
That's where your, all your, your various rights came from and all the rest of it came from that. And it was even from that law, English law, uh, that America uh, took over uh, their whole uh, religious system too. And not just religious, but, but their law system, their legal system. But it's the same thing too if you read into the, the Vatican II Council with the Catholic Church uh, a huge congregation of um, Jewish congresses were involved in getting that passed through the Vatican II. People don't even know that. So anyway, uh, Mr. Williams of the, of the of, uh, Anglican Church, apparently he's been used as an excuse for a statement he made. And, uh, and so it's been passed into law. So there you go. That's how things happen. Eh? Anyway, that's that. Now, I also mentioned too, just because this is this is just news as well. It's not because we're picking on Israel here, but it said that, um, and I read an article a few days ago about Israel doing eugenics, basically, on uh, Ethiopian Jews by ster- giving them really a sterilant injection, claiming it was it was uh, a vaccination, and it really cut down their population. Back with more on this because it's more happened since. I'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. As I mentioned two or a few days ago, or a week ago, or whatever, I mentioned about the, the forced Depro-Provera, I think it was called. It's, it's, it's basically a temporary sterilant, but you keep getting the shots and it keeps you sterile. And they're being forced on Ethiopian Jews coming into Israel, and who are already in Israel, and they weren't getting told this was what it was for, they were getting told it was vaccination, and that this vaccination was necessary for their admission into Israel. And you look at, too, at some, even the Nuremberg trial, of course, they, they defined what eugenics was. And this is eugenics, folks, when, when one group uh, tries to stop the birth rate of another group and various other things, too. Uh, even destroying the culture uh, is a big thing for everyone to think about, of one group destroying the culture, all the rest was also part of eugenics, too. So in Israel, the, the, as I say, the, 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 they're still denying that they, it was a deliberate policy, although it was a deliberate policy. <laughs> and you must always keep that kind of thing, always deniability if you want to be spotless down through history. But uh, I'll put this link up tonight, and it gives you a little history of the U.S.'s uh, eugenics policy and how Hitler copied that and how other countries have copied that since. But uh, eugenics has always been part of, of, of really ethnic warfare. Of down through the history from different groups to different groups, going way back. And uh, it's quite interesting how Israel, again, uh, has been doing this in, to the Ethiopian Jews. You know, again, George Orwell said it, some are more equal than others in such utopias. And I'll also put the links up through the previous stories on the same topic up tonight, too, along with this video. And talking about cultures being wrecked and all the rest of it, it says, this is interesting. It's from it's from a psychologist, a psychology site, and it says prior relationship experiences shape romantic partnerships. Says psychologist, you know these are the big new priesthoods, psychologists and stuff. And it says partners each bring a suitcase of prior experiences to a relationship. And they're talking about teenagers, which may influence what happens in their current relationships. Is Catherine Hayden, assistant professor of psychology and education, and it says. Uh, 
The research examines the developmental origins of how people behave in their closest relationships. One central question in her work is how romantic partners and individual development histories affect what happens in their current relationship, how they resolve conflicts, regulate and express emotions, support each other, and so on. Her studies also show how close relationships with parents, friends, and romantic partners can contribute to developmental outcomes, such as navigating the transition to adulthood. So this is all the new normal today, multiple partners and so on, and it's called the hookup culture, they call it now. They don't really have studies and so on, they have hookup cultures, but I'll put that up and I'll put another one up too, goes into it in more, more detail. It says, new study examines the on-off relationships and sex with an ex amongst teenagers and young adults. Basically, the young adults and the teenagers uh, quite frequently, it doesn't matter, go and study with somebody else down the road. They'll go back to old partners just for sex. This is all quite normal today because society has been wrecked deliberately. Uh, the culture has been destroyed, and you're getting get churned out from uh, Hollywood all the time, of course, just like you wouldn't believe. But um, they talk about the, the, the different research that they've done here, and the authors found that approximately 44% of emerging adults uh, who'd been in a romantic relationship in the past two years had experienced at least one reconciliation with an ex-romantic partner, and 53% of those who reported reconciliations also reported having uh, sex with their exes. Additionally, racial minorities in particular were even more likely to experience reconciliation or sexual relationships with previous romantic partners. But that's just a new normal because uh, everything's been wrecked. Everything's been wrecked, you know. You know, when the old, and it's true enough, it's when the old moralities were based on the old cultures that you've all come from, basically, across Europe, which was a Christian basis. It didn't matter if you went to church or not, you all had the basic same moralities. And there was reasons. I mean, they believed in, in marriage for life and not didn't believe in divorce. Judaism, Judaism, Judaic religion believes in divorce. That's always been part of their thing. They didn't believe in abortion, but in Judaism, 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 you can have abortion because it's really considered as an appendage of the mother. It's not a living thing until it's born, you see. And even later, uh, before it's actually got a spirit. Anyway, uh, it shows you how things have been destroyed and society has been changed from a Christian one to something else, right? But this, this other article goes on to part of the ongoing process. Remember, I've read this, the Frankfurt School's articles. They were set up to destroy the Christian culture, by the way, and the European cultures and traditions and so on. That was their primary directive. And they, along with the Macy Group, were given permission by the president of the U.S. after World War II to come in and destroy the old system of America and also Europe. And by and by, they also got into heavily got into entertainment and so on by some of their members doing it that way. And I'll be touching on that tonight, but it's ongoing regardless. And it says morality in the media. It says Oprah's own network embraces torture and sexual violence. It says this is from Reuters, and it says um, telling women to accept violence, torturous sex culture. It says. Um, Morality in media says is calling for a, this is the, the an organization uh, MIM is calling for a nationwide or nationwide protest of Oprah Winfrey's own network that's a Harpo network which is uh, 
her, her name backwards. But it's also interesting, Harpo is also the abbreviated name for Harpo, the Harpocrates, that was the, you'll see that in the tombs in Egypt where the, the pharaoh, or the young pharaohs, um, have a, a falcon on their back and it depicts secrecy. He's got his hand up to his mouth going, shh, that's, means secrecy. You do something by secrecy. I'll explain this when I get back from this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. Talking about Oprah's uh, network and so on. Pushing, uh, it's called BDSM, sex, bondage, discipline, dominance, and submission, and sadism and masochism. This is an hour-long television show replete with whips, chains, handcuffs, and assorted tools of sexual torture. Because you see, going back to the Frankfurt School, which literally didn't fall away, and they turned out lots of stuff to destroy the cultures. Believe you me, on behalf of the people involved in it that didn't belong to those cultures. And um, and it's still on the go today under different names too, believe you me. But uh, one of the big things you were involved with was the entertainment industry. And Theo Adorno, one of the members of the Frankfurt School, wrote, wrote a lot about the entertainment industry and the culture industry. And they had to dominate it, which they did. It's been done. And he said, we'll bring them right down and destroy all, all remnants of any cultures of all these Western communities in Europe. Uh, and right down to necrophilia, he said, even then we won't be finished. Utter hatred for Europeans and utter hatred. So anyway, this is standard fear on your television screen today. Generations have been step-by-step. Step. Fabian style got used to it. So now you can sit with your grandma and she might blush a bit, but she's already had her part back in the 60s or whatever. And step-by-step, step, you're, you're used to this stuff. Anyway, it says, women want to be loved, adored, and cherished, not whipped, dominated, and humiliated. Actually, what they do is pee on you, poop on you, and do different things in you as well. Said Don Hawkins, the, the MIM executive director, Oprah and her own cable network seems desperate to bootstrap their flag ratings to the tawdry grey. Uh, she added, this is about 50 shades of grey they're pushing to get even more confused. All the ones are growing up. This is purely trash TV and worse. And it's not just for ratings, by the way. Oprah's been put up there in the, in the very first place to alter your whole culture. That's what it's for. It says it's entertainment likely to foster domestic abuse, primarily of women. And I've, I've thought that Oprah would should lead the charge against such ox- exploitations, Hawkins said. And it says, at one time, the promise of the ONW network was to empower women to live their best life with inspiring stories of hope, courage, and self-esteem. It wasn't at all to do that. It was just self-destroying relationships at all that they could have with probably men. And anyway, I'll leave this article and go on to this next one because it's interesting. And it says, major media fail. It says, Ariana Huffington and Oprah's galaxies collide and poof. The Huff Post becomes new universe's pimp and mama of pain, promoting POW style of torture of teen girls and women in Porn Valley, it says here. And it says here, 
Why would Arianna Huffington pimp these sexual predators, rapists, torturers and sex tra- traffickers? It would appear that Arianna and Oprah, who are BFFs in business, now have their so- have sold their souls to Satan. This is this guy's spin on it. And are working hard to deliver your children straight into Satan's arms. He's located in Porn Valley and it's called Organized Crime, Satanism and Sex Trafficking. You'll see below that Max Spiegler, the porn agent who Arianna Huffington promotes and features on her media site recently, is the same porn agent for Skin Diamond and many other teen girls and young women who, who he sends to kink.com to be broken down. It's called grooming and trauma bonding so they can be retrained as porn industry sex slaves to be pimped to the world. See for yourself, and all the links are on it too, how the legal Los, L-E-G-A-L, Los Angeles adult entertainment industry is really a front for illegal prostitution, sex trafficking, and money laundering. No, it's also part of the culture destruction for folks who don't quite get it. Tell these powerhouse women you don't want your daughters pimped, trafficked, and tortured in Porn Valley. And it's his email, Ariana, and her legal department, and Oprah, and it gives you the links too, to tell him you don't want porn pimped to your children, and you don't want your daughters to end up like these girls below. And it gives you uh, different articles all on the same thing, Oprah and Ariana joining forces and so on. So it's quite interesting. But it says, uh, it says the two most powerful women in American media today linked up on Huffington's ever expanding website when they launched HuffPost uh, own a new section that will feature what else? Lifestyle advice and personal inspiration from the Oprah Winfrey Network and Oprah.com. As usual, Oprah was effusive, posting an introductory note under the headline, The Conversation. And she says, thank you, Ariana, for allowing us to extend the conversation about empowerment and how we can grow and evolve ourselves to the truest expression of who we each are meant to be. This is my calling, my heart's deepest desire to fulfill my highest potential and share what I know to help you do the same. So they go into their dialogue and so on and so on and how they're, they're pushing this drivel and porn on the public who are too stupefied now with television and addiction to even know they're getting completely, completely brainwashed. Completely, completely brainwashed. It's just astonishing. Also tonight too, I'll put up a link uh, to a guy who is promoting through soap operas across the world. I've mentioned him before. The same thing, how they're getting folk to have no children and use various contraceptive things and alter their lifestyles altogether, meaning have, have lots of sex and partners but just don't uh, get married. And he's working uh, for the Population Reduction Council and so on through fiction, once again, through soap operas. And it's, again, I'm sorry to say that people are so dumbed down they can't tell that they're getting brainwashed today because they'll lap it up through fiction and then they emulate what they see. I'll put that one up too. A little bit of kind of triviality in a sense here. Bulgarian princess Kalina moves to get Bulgarian citizenship. Interesting, I guess the communists kicked him out or whatever, or they ran out before the communists took over, and now that's supposedly over. And Bulgaria has really been raped as far as cash goes. They're a very poor country. Um, it says here that Princess Kalina wants to gain Bulgarian citizenship. Uh, the local media have announced she met with the Bulgarian Prime Minister Bokio Borisov and Justice Minister Diana Kovacheva on Friday. The Bulgarian princess expected to join the Bulgarian national equestrian team so she can ride horses about with the Queen of England. However, here's her, it says here she's related to the Queen of England, obviously. 
This is a 41-year-old Kalina as the youngest of former Bulgarian King Simeon Sachs Coburg. Now, the British bunch, which are not British either, are, are called uh, Sachs Coburg Gotha. But so she's definitely related to them. And anyway, she's, uh, she's got five children, and they're all born exile in Spain. She married a Spanish multimillionaire, I think. And uh, they're all going for the Bulgarian citizenship. So I don't know how Bulgaria is going to support them because, as I say, they've been really, uh, they're a really poverty-stricken country right now. And the EU is going to get them in a hole, too, through massive lending. They're already doing it. People in Bulgaria are telling me they don't see where all this, these millions of dollars are going for, to or euros are going to because it's not getting spent on the people or the places they live in. So we'll see how that works out. I've mentioned before that the big pharma industry is, uh, what can you say about it? Not in the vaccine industry. We've already had Bill Gates. There's lots of articles up there on Bill Gates saying that uh, immunization will uh, cut the population uh, and so on. And, of course, they all support uh, women's health, which means abortion across the world, sterilization and eugenics. Anyway, five-year-old girl gets herpes zoster after a chicken pox vaccine. I'll put that up tonight, too, to show you, yep, this is happening more and more, this kind of study. Uh, also, too, this one here says that, and I mentioned this one before already, maybe a few weeks ago, uh, maybe earlier. It says 97% of children affected by 2009 mumps outbreak were vaccinated for the condition. And it says here that some more evidence has emerged showing the complete failure of modern vaccines to provide any real protection against disease. A recent study published in the New England Journal of Medicine reveals that the astounding 97% of children affected by mumps outbreak that swept the northeast back in 2009 had already been vaccinated for the condition in accordance with recommended government guidelines. Many of them had two vaccinations, it says. Interestingly enough, it says, according to the study, 3,502 children of primarily orthodox Jewish upbringing developed mumps between June 28, 2009 and June 27, 2010 as a result of an unusual face-to-face educational method used at certain all-boys Jewish schools throughout the New York and New Jersey areas. That's a tradition that they have when they get in talk. And they get really, really close, believe you me. And um, that you shared the Ru'ar spirit and all that kind of stuff in the arguments that they have and repetitions. Anyway, amongst those affected by the outbreak, 97% were said to be Orthodox Jewish persons. Nearly one-third were between the ages of 13 and 17. After confirming 1,648 cases of infection using clinical specimens, the research team that compiled the study determined that 89% of all those who contracted mumps as a result of the outbreak had already been vaccinated at least twice for the mumps. Presumably with the controversial measles, mumps and rubella combination vaccine that has been implicated in causing gastrointestinal disorders and autism. Another 8% of the group had reportedly received only one dose of the mumps vaccine. So you don't understand too, it's quite interesting this as well, because if you give uh, the vaccine around the time of puberty and you get the mumps, you can go sterile. That that's the big outcome of, of getting mumps for males. You can go sterile with it. So it makes you wonder what's going on here altogether. But we do did, we did know autism is a definitely it comes out all this stuff too, all these triple vaccinations again, etc. So and there's, there's that previous article too, that young girl five years old that got herpes zosters from a chicken pox vaccination. Older folk are getting shingles from it. 
And I'll also put up to the same article from uh, the examiner.com. And it says, U.S. mumps outbreak after two vaccine doses, 8-9% still contracted the disease. And that goes into it in some length as well. But uh, you understand you're living in a, in a make-believe world. Remember, going back to Bertrand Russell, Lord Bertrand Russell, who worked with both the Macy Group and the Frankfurt School. And he worked uh, with them awfully closely to bring a whole new culture into society. But he also said that they'd use academia and that they would use uh, science, science at the very top, to run people's lives. And this is how it's supposed to be. And he said if there's going to be a tyranny, which he expected there would be, he says, I hope it will be a scientific tyranny. He said it will be ruthless. And it's true enough, you're not allowed to question anything. Lenin said the same thing too. He, he said that we'll start services across the West, like health services, police services. They'll become authorities later on. Eventually, towards the end, Lenin said, there'll be so many of these different authorities that they'll actually be competing with each other and, and, and fighting with each other over territory and over who's responsible for the, for the people. And we're at that stage today. There's so many uh, government uh, agencies on the go. Also, this article, LIBOR, the big LIBOR scandal that happened in Britain. It won't matter because they never put them in prison in Britain. They don't charge them for anything. It doesn't matter what you do. But LIBOR lies revealed in the ring of 300 trillion benchmark, 300 trillion dollars. And it says that, that the benchmark rate for more than 300 trillion of contracts was based on honesty. <laughs> New evidence in banking's biggest scandal shows traders took it as a license to cheat. Well, of course it did, because there's no laws to go after them in Britain. Every morning from his desk by the bathroom at the far end of Royal Bank of Scotland Group, which is mainly owned by the British government. PLC's trading floor overlooked London's Liverpool Street Station. Paul White punched a series of numbers in his computer. Then he goes through what they actually did in order to do it all. He says, says, on the morning of March 27, 2008, Tan chimed in. Danzinger's boss in Tokyo told him to make sure the next day's submission in yen would increase. Bloomberg Markets magazine will report in its March issue, we need to bump it way up high, highest amongst all if possible. Tan, who was known by his colleagues as Jimmy, wrote an instant message to Danziger, who according to his transcript made public by a Singapore court and reported on by Bloomberg before being sealed by a judge at RBS's request. And Dan Zinger typically would have his swivel in his chair, tapped White on the children and laid the request to him. People who worked on the trading floor say, instead as White was away that day, Dan Zinger input the rate himself. He decided himself. There were no rules at the RBS and other banks prohibiting derivatives traders who stood to benefit from where LIBOR was set from submitting the rate, a flaw exploited by some traders to boost their bonuses. Well, it wasn't a few and some traders, folks. This was the common method they've been using for years, all of them, all of them, folks. And there's other articles out in it, too. Another article, too, up up tonight, is quite interesting, again, to do with culture and so on. And it says here, if you were to borrow a microphone at a movie theater or a rock uh, concert before the show and ask people if they have ever heard of Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, Jean Paul's, Jean Paul Satra, uh, Alexander Crowley, or even Alan Moore, many would probably say no. He says, why should they care? To paraphrase a culture, aphorism, who frankly gives a rip, it says here. After all, we already have enough problems in the world, and we don't want to multiply our problems by thinking about ideas which, on the surface, don't seem to correspond to our world. We're living in a material world where the hustle and bustle of everyday life seems to get the best of us. 
Yet whether we like it or not, ideas like the rate Richard M. Weaver pointed out do have consequences and affect our lives tremendously. I'm going into the culture industry here. Ideas, August Comte tells us, govern the world or throw it into chaos. If ideas can throw the world into chaos, then the people who created those ideas can hardly be ignored. If that's the case, what are we to do? There says Ravi Zacharias actually argues that our way of life becomes or comes to us basically on three levels. To make it short, only two will be mentioned. It says the first level deals with theoretical ideas, and it's, that's where we engage in metaphysical questions and where writers and thinkers have focused their attention since the times of Plato and Aristotle. But let's get real, it says. Most people go about living their lives without caring or even being aware that people like Plato or Aristotle ever existed or that their ideas largely constitute the fabric of Western civilization. So this level does not appeal to many people and has attracted mostly intellectuals. And then it goes on to say here, the second level is art. Now this is how you can alter. Now art also takes in music, not just painting and so on, like the, the, the nihilistic painting they brought in to destroy the help, destroy the cultures too and bring in depression, which it certainly did. But it says, this is art. It says, it's where ideas are morphed into images, including music, and images in turn shape perhaps half of our lives, whether we are aware of it or not. Tom Hanks admitted, now think of this, in the film industry. I think that when the film industry can capture an idea and make it glamorous and gorgeous so that the audience isn't even aware that they're embracing something they never would have embraced before, then yes, the film is, as a social motor can inaugurate some kind of change. Lenin also learned that very quickly. One way, quick way to destroy a society, he said, is through its music. And there's a whole history on that I could go into uh, from the early days, but I won't, even when they kidnapped jazz guys from New York and brought them over to Moscow back in 1919. But I won't. In other words, a person can learn about Nietzsche through the arts without being aware that there is such a person named Nietzsche, and a person can inject a Wittenschung in his art without even telling his viewers. This is one reason why Aristotle declared that music ought to be regulated, for he knew it could be used as a powerful weapon in bringing about cultural changes. Plato himself declared in his famous work, Laws, he says, Through foolishness, they, the people, deceived themselves into thinking that there was no right or wrong way in music, and that it was to be judged good or bad by the pleasure it gave. As it was, the criterion was not music, but a reputation for promiscuous cleverness and a spirit of law-breaking, he says. Then goes on to guess who? Canada's David Cronenberg, part of the culture industry, who his so-called art, he, he says, is to destroy Western culture. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about culture and culture industry. And it's talking about David Cronenberg as an example. He says, fast forward thousands of years later, the most revolutionary individual in Hollywood who's harnessed the revolutionary power of the art, as they call it, in order to implicitly attack Western culture, is arguably the Jewish director David Cronenberg. He's revolution in the sense that he uses pornography in nearly all his films to get his point across. Actually, if you see video, Videodrome and other ones, it's, it's, it's sadomasochism. It says, for Cronenberg, what is up is really down, and what is down is actually up. Evil is good, good is evil. See, that's Kabbalism, 
Jewish, Jewish capitalism. And I've actually mentioned before and read from an article years ago on the air where a bunch of directors were asked if they believed in good and evil in Hollywood. And they all said the same thing. There's no such thing as good and evil. It's like a straight line. Something always benefits out of every occurrence, even catastrophes. And, and they don't believe in it. And also believe in balance, as they call it. So evil is good and good is evil. He says, the minute you say evil, Cronenberg told one Rolling Stone interviewer some years ago, I think Christianity. I don't throw the word evil around, and it may not be something I even believe in. If Cronenberg does not believe in evil, then destroying lives through pornography is a good thing. Then Cronenberg dropped an atomic bomb, a bomb which seems to be a quintessentially philosophy that makes up of all his, his films, including his recent film called Cosmopolis, starring Robert Pattinson of the Twilight Saga. He said, I'm positing art as a means of coming to terms with death. Yes, I'm putting art in opposition to religion, Christianity, of course, or as a replacement of religion in a sense that if religion is used to allow you to come to terms with death and also to guide you how to live your life, then I think that art can do the same thing, but in a much less schematic way, in a much less rigid and absolute way. It says, where did Cronenberg get these ideas? Well, as E. Michael Jones would have said, the metaphysical and categorical source of these ideas came from the rejection of the Logos, which, which is a source of order, harmony, uh, good art, logic and reason. Once Logos has been pushed aside, pornography is no longer an abstract principle, as in Freud's psychoanalysis. And by the way, uh, the full Freudian skill was put out in front again. It was also in communication, too, with the guys who created the Vienna School and the Frankfurt School and they pushed across the whole of America. Remember, I've said before, Freud said to his famous statement coming into the harbor in New York, he turned to Young and he says, he said, we're bringing them the plague. It wasn't to heal people, it was to bring them the plague. It was to destroy the culture and it's done an awfully good job, but also destroyed religion as well. Anyway, I'll put this article up tonight and it's quite good because it goes through uh, a lot of the culture, industry, and the techniques, and the, and the things that they all uh, attach themselves, like Nietzsche and so on, to try and boost what they really are trying to do. Because they really believe they have a job to do, you understand. I also think, too, about the population control propagandist. He says, we get very little opposition from the public. That's the one to do with um, the fact that they use all these soap operas and so on. And the folk don't know they're getting brainwashed uh, when they get hooked on them. And they can alter all the culture as well, because monkey see, monkey do. That's an old, old thing, too. And also tonight, I want to put up uh, uh, a couple of articles. is to do with, uh, one is, is called, Where Have the Real Men Gone? It's from a Catholic point of view. And I'm not saying push Catholicism. It's telling you, it's from a Catholic point of view. But it tells you what's happened. Look at the guys. And look at those who are pronouncing uh, uh, what's left of Christianity as hateful. You'll never find more hateful people. Quite an interesting article. And also an article to do with the fact that the EU is now bringing laws over the search engines for the Internet. And they're also promoting and authorizing their own journalists now. It's all going the old Soviet way. Back with more next Monday. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada. It's good night. May all your gods and your gods go with you. <laughs> Bye now.